0: I'm here. <laughs> Bill is here. Bill, Bill is here. here. Bill <laughs> is
1: here. Bill is here. So I've been. So rolling. is Paul and oh, 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 Dave. Oh, so are Paul and Dave. Paul and Dave. Paul
0: and Dave. And, 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 and,
2: and, 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 Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations! Red alert! Shields up! What shields? You starfleet officers, now start acting like it!
3: Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick.
2: Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist.
3: The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts.
1: Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spitaro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast, a Two True Freaks presentation. Today, we'll be discussing the Siege of AR-558, which is Episode 8 of Season 7, written by Ida Stephen Burr and Hams Beimler, and directed by Vindrik Kolb. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. I am former star of Babylon 5, Andrew Leyland. And I am joined by the former star of Lost in Space, Bill Moomy. No. <laughs> Bill Robinson. <laughs> the former star of the Twilight Zone, Dave Pascarella. I thought you left me there. And the former singer with Band of Fish Heads or whatever his band was called, Paul Spatara. I don't even know what that is.
0: <laughs> I believe it was Barnes and Barnes, wasn't it? Barnes and Barnes, thank you. Song the song
1: was Fish Heads, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. No yeah, these are roly all references to the fact that po- eat them up. Bill, Bill Moomy, famous for Lost in Space, Babylon 5 and the Twilight Zone and Roly-Poly Heads, is also in this episode. His first appearance in Star Trek, and his last. And it's not going to stop us making lots of Danger Bill Robinson jokes. Uh, do we have any news <laughs> that have happened since, since we stopped recording 10 minutes ago? Yeah, nope. Disco's probably
0: been delayed due to my corona... <laughs> Oh, there was a pre, uh, what, like in the pre-pre-credits se- uh, sequence of Picard, there was a teaser trailer, I guess, or like a ten-minute? Ten-minute. Ten-second teaser?
1: Right. You'd think they'd, they'd finish up post-production as quickly as they could and get it out there Why they've got a captive audience, wouldn't you?
2: Well, they're sure. definitely pushing the free month trial. They're making it sound like that's something you couldn't have gotten, you know, at any time. And they pushed enough that I, I signed up for the free month. I don't know if I'm going to keep it beyond that month, but we will see.
1: I've watched a couple of episodes of the new Twilight Zone, which is
2: apparently on CBS All Action. How is it? It's all right. Is it okay? bringing endorsement and makes me want to run to my TV.
1: <laughs> I've only watched two of them. I like, I like the guy that hosts it, whose name I've temporarily forgotten. Jordan Peele, isn't it? Yeah. Jordan Peele, he does a, a good job because he, he's not just trying to imitate Rod Serling, so that's quite good. But the, the stories haven't really justified the length. I think there's a reason that the best Twilight Zones are 20, 25 minutes. And do you remember the 80s show? They would frequently have stories that were like 5, 10, 15 minutes and have 2 or 3 stories per 30 minute segment, wouldn't they? Yep, yeah I remember that. that. yeah, yeah yep, that, um, was always, that was always cool like because the stories didn't <laughs> outstay their welcome. If it was only a 5 minute twisted the tale story it was five minutes and the rest of the episode added out with a different show i like that i think that's a good idea for twilight zone i sometimes don't think it really sustains
0: 45 50 minutes yeah one of the best ones of those was when john glover came down as an alien and told them all um you know oh we're very disappointed in you blah 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 and they all uh, oh, they all stopped fighting and made peace and then um when he comes back the next day he's like no 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 you misunderstood we wanted you to be a warfaring race. It's why we left you here and you failed. So, uh, yeah, Beast No, <laughs> you're gone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, anyway,
1: that's that, that all. I don't know what else. What else does CBS All Access do that's original
2: content? No, I think it's mostly the Star Trek stuff right now. Yeah, okay. You know, I, on an unrelated to Star Trek front, uh, on the Disney Plus, they have a 12-minute special now. Uh, I don't know how long it's been there, but I only saw it yesterday. Where they give uh, previews of the Marvel continuing series that they're going to have. I don't know if any of you have seen that. Yeah, all right. But it's uh, it's pretty interesting. They, you know, they give you a little bit more to go on with, you know, WandaVision and uh and uh, what you call Falcon and uh, Winter Soldier and Loki and What If, and then they they make mention of uh, Moon Knight and. Uh, I can't even think of what the other ones are. Uh, She-Hulk, and there's one other that I'm missing. But uh, they, they, you know, they give you a little bit to go on. Something, you know, they tell you some of the cast in some of these shows and give you an idea of where they're going to go. And uh, I, it's got me pumped. I just wish they actually had release dates for them. That would get me more pumped.
1: They probably don't know now because of those. I think Falcon and Winter Soldier finished filming, but I think Loki got shut down, and I think Wandavision got shut down, didn't it? So they've not finished filming
2: yeah i don't i'm not sure uh, honestly uh they, they they haven't given like a lot of updates on these shows uh so that's why it was kind of cool to watch this 12 minute special because it gave me a lot of information that i didn't previously have but i you know where they are in production i have no idea
1: right okay That should. should we get on to the synopsis of this sure. Okay, the planet AR-558 is notable only for being the site of a major Dominion communications relay. It has already been seized by Starfleet soldiers and paid for in blood. Of the 150 cents to the planet, 43 still live. They have not been rotated off-duty for over five months, a contravention of Starfleet regulations, which insists that infantry be rested every 90 days. The USS Defiant arrives carrying supplies with replicator rations. Captain Benjamin Sisko commands with Worf as executive officer, Esri Dax and Dr. Julian Bashir along as tech and medical support, Ensign Nog as a crew member, and Quark sent on a fact-finding mission by the Grand Nagus, which made perfect sense. After an abortive error involving friendly fire, Cisco lands on the planet and begins to assess the situation. The Jem Hadar are interested in regaining their communications relay. Lieutenant Nadia Larkin, ranking officer, is just as insistent that Starfleet keep it, but with the Dominion supplying fresh troops and Starfleet doing no such thing, the odds are poor. Furthermore, Bashir's professional medical opinion is that the soldiers are badly in need of relief, a fact simply not logistically possible. Ezri becomes an ad hoc assistant to the garrison's engineer, Kelly, in helping him decode and decipher the comm relay. Nog looks up to the battle-hardened veterans as heroes, to Quark's consternation. The elder Ferengi has seen the brutal, nastier side of the Who-mans, and he warns Nog not to become too enamored of them. Finally, Sisko is pushed into a decision when the Defiant comes under attack. He orders Worf to take the ship to safety. He and his men are staying to fight. Sisko begins by fortifying the garrison's defences. The Dominion have left a set of booby traps, Houdini anti-personnel mines that can pass in and out of subspace at random. Kellen and Dax work out a way to force them into normal space so that they can be moved out of the camp and used to halt attacking Hadar. He also sends out a scouting party to locate the Jem'Hadar base. Lieutenant Larkin leads with Reese's survival expert and as talent. His Ferengi ears will work where jammed tricorders will not. Quark naturally objects. The party gains the needed intelligence, but is ambushed. Larkin is killed and Nog is shot in the leg, which he ends up losing. The remaining Starfleet personnel prepare for the upcoming fight. Quark guards Nog in sickbay. Bashir sets up an audio broadcast of Sweet singer Vic Fontaine as Houdini's begin exploding. In the ensuing battle of many Starfleet personnel are killed, including Vargas and Kellen and even Quark has to kill a Jem'Hadar, threatening Nog. In the aftermath, most of the Federation personnel are dead, but the station is held and the relay is tapped. New supplies of troops arrive via the USS Vera Cruz, as well as dedicated tech crews to commandeer the relay station. The Vera Cruz is also evacuating the wounded, including Nog, who will be fitted with a prosthetic limb. With control of the com relay, Starfleet will be able to tap into Dominion communications throughout the entire sector the end um, I enjoyed this one I, I felt that this was a much darker take on on the legends and history of war than the last episode which was basically celebrating the legend this is showing that it's actually quite brutal and bad things happen to good people mm-hmm. it, it got a little bit stagy, I think and I don't think I think that's largely because they didn't film it on location. I think if they filmed on location, it would have opened the shop up a little bit more. And also, it was never there was never any real threat to our characters because they populated it with this series of no marks that we're never going to see again. So it was clear which ones were going to die. But the removing of of Nog's leg and him actually suffering a, a major loss as part of this will have implications down the road. But it's a good episode, and I very much enjoyed it.
2: I would say it was a very good episode, and I didn't very much enjoy it because I think, as was its intended purpose, it made me very uncomfortable. Um, I am admittedly not very comfortable with movies and television shows that present that type of view of war, a much more realistic view of war than what we get in a lot of shows and movies that glorify it uh, the ones that glorify it I find more entertaining whereas these I think bring home the reality and the reality of war You know, which I'm fully aware of is a horrible horrible thing so it becomes difficult to me to watch it because I know how horrible it is not that I've ever lived anything but just it's, it's, it's an uncomfortable watch I think I, I've o- often said like I can acknowledge a movie like say Saving Private Ryan is a terrific movie but it's one that I saw once, and I really have no desire to see again because it is so uncomfortable to watch. I would not necessarily put this in that class of drama, but I would put this in that class of class of uncomfortable watching. Uh, there's, you know, there's not a lot about this episode that is fun in any way, way, shape, or form. I think the the opening with with Ram singing "The Lady Is a Tramp" is by far my favorite part of the episode. Uh, And that's for the exactly the reasons that I say. Uh, Again, you know, very meaningful, very very well done, but not really an enjoyable view for me. That the silence should be broken with Quark screaming, not Quark, uh, Nog screaming as his leg gets shot. Mm. Just because that that's you know, it's funny because the Klingon scream, not the Klingon, the Ferengi scream that's occurred in the past, I found amusing, and yet this time I found it to be like kind of. Blood curdling. So one yeah, else has any reason. thoughts. What are we doing next time? Oh.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, this is
0: uh, you know in my ute. Um, you know, often you watch movies about war, and then you get older, and then you have a different view on them. As in, and then also serving in the military, you know, you, you you tend to see things different. You know, yeah, this this wasn't an easy watch uh, at all, um, and uh, the way. Could they have gotten rid of a main character? I, they could have, but I think it would have been too soon. I mean, it would have really been much, you know, maybe had more Im- impact. I think this, this episode had enough impact as it was. Um, you know, there are some, there is consequences for Nog. I, I, when I say this, I'm not being disrespectful. I, I don't want to say that Nog learned a lesson, but he learned a hard life lesson about, you know, glorification of war because he he his character seemed to be very enamored with everybody and 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 you know his uncle is trying to like you know back, back off a little back off a little this isn't as beautiful and glorious as you think it is and maybe you know he's been around Klingons too too much and he doesn't have you know this is his first real real, real exposure to battle and unfortunately it'll be a it'll have a long lasting effect for him now that I've rambled hmm I do have some comedy to interject, and I guess I'll put it here. Thank God those minds were not um, subspace mimes that would just Houdini, pop Houdini out. Houdini mimes, Houdini mimes that would just hide in subspace and jump out at you when you least expect it. Getting back to, our- to
2: you, trying to kill these people. Well, maybe that mime. <laughs> I, I thought the uh, the conversation between uh, Quark and Cisco. Where he starts saying, you know, if you really cared about him, you wouldn't send him. I thought oh, that yeah. was particularly heartfelt and meaningful, and you understand the perspective of both of them. Both very sides, well. yeah. So I thought that was extremely well written.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, Qu- I mean, Qu- Quark's right. He's like, you know, w- would you send Jake out there? And and then Cisco's like, Jake's not a Starfleet officer.
2: And if Jake were a Starfleet officer, Cisco has already showed that he would. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that was completely the wrong argument for for Quark to take with Cisco.
2: But you understand why Quark is so upset. I mean, it it totally makes sense. And, you know, in that situation, if you're Quark, you're not going to be rational. You're just not. So it's, you know, it's showing how much he cares about his nephew, that he gets upset the way he does and that he is somewhat irrational about it whereas cisco has to fight to be totally rational at all times i'm sure he doesn't ever want to send anybody out in that situation but you know that's that's the burden he has and as, as a commander he's not often put on the front lines like that he's not often in the line of fire so it's showing like a different perspective and it, it's just i mean it, despite what I said about it being so uncomfortable. uh, Actually, I'm going to say it's as good as it is because it's so uncomfortable. Dave, you've been surprisingly silent. Any thoughts? Did you go away? Sorry about that. Um, As far as Quark, it seems his
3: whole um, philosophy has been turned upside down. And I mean as far as Nog says at one point something along the lines of... um, I have to get them to accept me or something like that. You know, the Starfleet soldiers and Quark says something along the lines of and at the cost of the loss of your soul. And it's almost seemed it is that old saying, I, th- I actually think it's from the Bible where it says, what profit a man to gain the whole world at the price or at the cost of his soul? And you would think almost a Ferengi, if you could gain the whole world, you know, to make a profit. And it only cost you your soul. What's the big deal? It seems like with Nog in this position, Quark's almost humanity has risen to the forefront. I saw him more human. He's the most human Ferengi I've seen. Do you know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah. I also appreciated his comment about the humans where it's, you know, yeah, look at them. They're all nice now, but, you know, they want their hollow sweets and this, you know. Uh, I don't remember his exact line, but I thought, you know, it, it shows kind of what he really thinks. You know, it-
3: the, the other thing is, I, I got a lot out of this episode. I don't know if any of you have ever seen an old movie about D-Day. It's called The Longest Day, mm-hmm. and it has, like, everybody in Hollywood. There's this one character who's based on a real man. Uh, his name was Major John Howard. He was a British, uh, one of the glider troops where they landed. And he had to hold a bridge. He had 180 men, but by the time they made it to the bridge, it's much less. And he's hearing in his mind, you know, his orders. until so you need to take the bridge and you need to hold the bridge and hold until relieved. And it just keeps ghostly echoing. Hold until relieved. Hold until relieved, and that's kind of what I kept thinking through this whole episode that they had to hold until relieved in that same circumstance where just you know this was a relay as opposed to a bridge. But I, I thought it was very well done, and then it, it it brings up the whole morality question of what you do to win a war. Where they specifically say the Houdini mines how they were so horrible and so terrible. But, well, we could use them against the enemy. That's what we're going to do. I mean, it's it's a fact of war. You look at the terrible bombings of cities in World War II. They say if you had spoken to the people in charge of the air forces before World War II, pretty much at least on our side, the the allies, everyone would have agreed. Oh, this is terrible. We we would never do something like that. But then the other side starts doing it. We have to do what we have to do to win. And it becomes, you're willing to sacrifice your principles and your morals because you need to win. And uh, I just think this brings it up.
2: Yeah, it, it comes into question, you know, what are you willing and are not willing to do in order to survive and in order to win? It becomes a big, big question. And it's presented here in a way where they don't focus on it. They present it and they walk away from it and let you just think about it. And I thought that was, you know, they come out and they say it. So I I, I guess it would be a mistake to say it's subtle, but they don't beat you over the head with it either. Right.
3: It's it's, it's well done. It's not half my face is painted black and the other side's painted white. Yeah. It's a change of uh, our culture has changed. You know, I like old war movies. Clearly, that's obvious and that's come across. But, you know, there's there's another movie from way back when the war was still going on. It's called Wake Island. And Wake Island Falls. But it's about these Marines stationed there. And the movie ends with these two Marines on a machine gun. And waves of Japanese troops landing on the beaches. And it ultimately ends with the machine gun is taken out, you know, blown up or whatever. And, And, like, the voiceover or whatever it is is wake island you know has fallen and it cuts to this clip of hundreds of marines marching you know and it says but there's thousands of marines you know waiting to join the fight you know something like that and they showed this movie in the 40s during the war and in the lobbies of the theaters they had recruiting stations and people literally came out from watching this movie and signed up whereas this is more the reality of
2: war. Yeah, I, I think that's that's why it's a difficult watch because it is closer to the reality of war.
1: Mm. And yeah, and it's deliberately uncomfortable. I'm glad that it made us uncomfortable because oh, that's yeah. the point of it. And it's such a good one. Bill Moomy's great in it. I really like Bill Moomy. I think it's a shame that it, uh, he, his biggest role in Babylon Five, his face was covered in latex, but he was great in Babylon Five. So he's got a nice part, and it's it's. Other than the scene at the beginning with um, Max Grodnchick singing, there's not a lot of light relief in this one. No. The the best line... We don't do best lines anymore, but the best line in this episode is children and Cisco saying not for long.
3: And on the lighter side, Bill Mummy has a great line. I'm an engineer, not a magician.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Scotty, where would we be without you?
3: I'm surprised... uh... And I, I know they've probably done it before. Bashir's allowed to fight.
2: I think everybody had to fight in this particular instance. I think it was all hands on deck, except for Quark, who's just kind of like not able. To
3: I, I just thought there was something in the ru- our rules of war that doctors aren't allowed to fight or carry a weapon.
0: Uh, well, mm, I mean, like if you're a corpsman, but... um. Uh, yeah, but I don't think the Jem'Hadar are going to follow the uh, Starfleet Geneva Convention. Okay. No, I was just curious. Yeah.
1: According to Memory Alpha, this was based on the Battle of Guadalcanal in World War II, so it's another one that's lifting heavily from
2: uh, military history. Uh, I, I liked before the uh, mines that uh, Bashir played Vic singing. I'll be, what was, I'll be seeing you, I think he doesn't play. Mm-hmm. It, it made yeah. me think about, you know, like bagpipers before a fight or before a, a, a battle, rather. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a kind of a cool touch that the dog would hear that and think, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess the director also fought
0: in Vietnam and he brought some of his experiences to it uh, the waiting, you know, wondering when someone
2: was going to attack. I don't and, know if I'd be you know, able to handle it, honestly. I think I'd have a. I just would. I think it's just. I don't know. It's just like so difficult to even think about. I think it's presented. And we all have relatives who, who, who did that at some yeah. point or
3: another.
1: Yeah. It's been, it's been quite a, a low key episode, this one, because the one that we're talking about is a very low key. There's lots of stuff on, on Memory Alpha about this, that this was one that the network or the studio didn't want them to do and the producers fought them to actually do an episode that showed that war just wasn't special effects and things blowing up. Uh, I think it's a very important episode. I think I think it is. I, I enjoyed it. When I say enjoyed it, I enjoyed it. But it isn't a pleasant or easy one to watch. And I don't think it should be. I think they did a very good job with the tone of this episode all the way through it. And I think you can argue a case that in all of Star Trek, Sisko is the best military com- commander of any of the television
3: shows,
2: I would agree with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, for reasons that I don't know why, I had memories of this one because I had only seen this once before, and my memory was that it was during the Klingon War, which was what three seasons ago. Yeah, uh, and I don't know why <clears throat> why that is, but that's the way I had placed it. So I had kind of I, I knew that it was going to be the thing when uh, when when Rom uh, Nog loses his leg but I kind of had thought it was something that was going to be a while ago, and then I kind of forgot about it. So it kind of came out of left field for me when it happened. So it's you know still just very very impactful.
0: That would have been interesting if uh, for the characterization of, of uh, Nog, if he had lost a limb in a battle with Klingons, and then having them as um, allies again later, and then having to interact with Worf.
2: Yeah, that, that would have been you know something that they could have played with if they had done it that way where later on they would have to uh have him come to grips with all of that which probably mm-hmm. would have been cool but you know that's just not how it worked out
0: no
3: see I, I misremembered as well i i thought you lost it to a mine to be honest i don't know why
0: yeah i uh, now, now now that you mention that i didn't remember it being shot like that i thought it was a mine as
2: well i thought it was a mime Came over and grabbed his leg.
0: I wasn't gonna. Right I wasn't gonna go there. I was taking a high road, and you just yeah. jumped right down the low road. And I
2: just. Yeah. I just you take the high road. I'll take the low road, and I'll be a DS9 for you. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything so, else? Um, the
0: use of the the Ketracel white tubes as trophies, which I'm, I believe we all know what that is in in reference to. You know, uh, some soldiers would take ears or other body parts as trophies and wear them in scalps. time for scalps, ears. So that that's as grisly as they could get on the TV show.
3: My uh, my grandmother's brother fought in Europe during the war, and he was ca- he was older. He was about 32 when he went because the war was dragging on, and he happened to be single. And uh, he got captured and spent the last, I think, year and a half in a German prisoner of war camp. And uh, he never really would talk about it, they said. But he, he did say when, you know, he they were getting out of the camp, these younger fellas were taking, you know, all kinds of German guns and flags and stuff like that. And his attitude was, I don't want anything to remember this place by.
2: Yeah, I've known people who were in Vietnam, and I've known people who were in Vietnam and were very articulate about it. And I've known others who were there, and you could not bring up the subject with them because it was just too painful for them to relive it. And I'm sure there's an element of PTSD that people have as a result of such things. Uh, So it's just... I guess, you know, it's a matter of you need to be respectful to those people's uh, situation in life and what what they did. Uh, You know, no matter what people think of war, uh, you have to be respectful of the fact that they were willing to put themselves out there for you, whether you agree with it or not, I think. Yes, 100%. And this this gives you just a you know a, just a scratch the surface of what it was like the the amount of uncomfortableness that that existed just sitting and watching this for 45 minutes imagine if that's your life for a period of months or even years
3: we really can't have any idea what people lived through you know, think about it you know we I lived through September 11th and as bad as it was. All I kept thinking is I can't imagine what it was like for people in say London where the bombs were coming every single night. and you're not even a soldier. You're a kid going to school or you're going to sleep and you don't know if the bombs are gonna rain down.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I've always said that my the war comics that I liked reading and stuff weren't Sergeant Fury i like sergeant fury it's fine but that's not what i grew up learning about from my granddad who did live through it who did grow up playing on the rubble of what was left of the church at the end of their road
3: well this episode provoked a lot of serious discussion and thinking right. well done
2: yeah I agree. yeah sorry everyone not a lot of laughs in this one uh, there's a reason for that though. and i think everybody yeah knows. Everybody I, understands I think why. so yeah <laughs> So why don't we rank it? Four and a half. I'm going to gonna. I, I'm gonna say a four, and it's not because there's any aspect of this episode that's not well done. It's just because, in my mind, part of the ranking of episodes, as opposed to of concepts, uh, is rewatchability. And I think everything about this episode is well done, except for the fact because it makes me squirm so much, it isn't really rewatchable. So it loses a point for that. And it, you know, that's not meant as a rating of quality so much as just uh, the experience.
0: Um, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give four, four as well. No, no piffy
3: comments. Uh, I say four and a half as well.
2: So that's what we think. What do you think, Blaine thinks? And I think this would be an appropriate time to not have a song. Oh because I agree. I, I Just was because th- we've been very serious about this one with good reason and I think we will stay that way. So Blaine says Hi guys, I just finished watching the most powerful episode of Star Trek I've ever seen. This is one of the few of this season I missed the first time around. It aired during midterms in a semester so overloaded I was averaging seventeen hours of sleep a week. I missed most of the episodes that aired that semester and was still playing catch up because I went to the 34th annual Canadian undergraduate physics conference shortly before boy that's a mouthful this feels like war stakes are real death and injury random and victories do not come cheap if you want to shine a light on the absurdities of humanity you may quark the voice of reason they did that well I'm glad they left wharf on the defiant for this one given the views on war and battle Klingons hold reinforced just last week he couldn't be there for this war is not fun it is not funny it can have positive outcomes under extremely negative circumstances but it is not a positive thing in itself nothing in this episode makes me doubt any of that for a second sure quark's presence is a bit forced but his shining moments shine so brightly that its slight incredulity is easily forgiven I can't decide if I want them to reference this particular communications array again in the course of the season. I can't decide if I would rather learn its vital so that the cost was worth it or utterly meaningless so that the combat was futile. I was planning to binge watch a few more, but I need to shift to something more uplifting right now. I have to edit some oral readings from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland at some point this week, so I'm going to do that instead. Blaine. Yeah, I think Blaine kind of reflects exactly what we thought of this one. Yeah. So that's it for this particular episode. And just to change the subject, we'll go to one more piece of email. Uh, I have it open. Does anybody else want to read it, or you want me to just do it? Okay. The email is. <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. It's Sam Drost or Drost. I'm not sure which is the prop, proper pronunciation. But thank you for your email, Sam. Hey, I just recently discovered your show and have been listening to the backlog. I know that I'm a few years behind, but you guys were questioning why they didn't use the cloaking device until exiting the wormhole instead of turning it on before going in the wormhole. You speculated that the wormhole might mess up cloaking devices. That isn't why. I seem to recall an episode where the wormhole keeps opening and the crew knows that Romulans are going through cloaked, but can do nothing about it. The real reason they don't is because the agreement between the Romulans and the Federation to use the cloaking device is that it will not be used in the Alpha Quadrant, and the Federation always follows the rules to the letter, until they don't. Yeah. So, yeah, that's thanks for that insight, Sam. I hope you're enjoying listening to the backlog, and you know when you get to this one, you'll hear your letter being read. Uh, but thank you, and uh, we appreciate your, your uh, joining us. And... and joining the conversation by adding uh, some content to it alright so I guess that's it for uh, this episode mm-hmm. Andy what are we doing next time
1: <laughs> next time our all new episode of listen to the prophets Ridley Scott joins us for Covenant kidnapped by a cult of terror
3: why did you bring me
1: here well that is a question best answered by the master held hostage by her worst
3: enemy open your heart to me Betrayed by her own faith.
0: Stay where you are.
3: Enough, Norris, unless you're willing to kill us all. Kira doesn't have a
2: prayer of a chance.
1: Fifty people are going to die.
2: And only the truth can save her on the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
1: Oh, wait, no, not that one.
0: <laughs> it's like, what?
1: Bye-bye, everyone. Ta-da. Bye. bye everyone Bye 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 Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast is a Two True Freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the 2 website, where if you click the little link that we have, it will take you straight through that site. And whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel.
3: Hey,
0: the Pope is singing songs from uh, High School Musical. Good. We're all in it together. Well, that's what he and said. And we know. Do, do, do.
1: Yeah, that one.